Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And on today's episode, we have the pleasure of interviewing Chris Baki, who is actually from the US. Uh, he moved to Korea, fell in love, uh, got married, and now he's traveling around uh, in Eastern Europe. He's actually in Romania, and he's going to be going to Moldova and uh, exploring that part of the world. Uh, so we're going to be finding about Chris in terms of, uh, uh, you know, living around the world, becoming a digital nomad, uh, the income sources he currently has, and uh, much more about his lifestyle as a traveler and digital nomad. So Chris, um, to start off with, why didn't you share a little bit about yourself uh, for the sake of the listeners and viewers? Um, Chris Brocky, it rhymes with hockey and Rocky. Uh, I was born in the U.S. near Chicago, moved to North Carolina when I was 12, went to college in Kentucky, and after I graduated college, this was about 2004, spent about four from basically one random crap job to another random crap job. The best job I had in the U.S. was actually teaching computer classes at the local library. Uh, this was basically mid to late 2007, and this usually started with Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Chris. Thanks for coming to the computer class. Let's get started. This is a keyboard. This is a mouse. This is a hard drive, and so on. Uh, these are very basic computer classes, but still kind of fun. December 2007, I was beginning to get a little bit bored with this. Uh, I heard about a job teaching English in South Korea. Can I do that? Is it possible? I'm just, you know, random 20-something from the U.S. <laughs> you know, six months of teaching experience doesn't exactly qualify you, but you look at the thing, and it said at the time, you know, you need a bachelor's degree. Any discipline is fine. Uh, you need uh, some teaching experience. is nice. You need to be a native-speaking person from one of these countries, the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, England, and so on. Um, and you need to be willing to come to, Korea, to South Korea and sign a one-year contract. So I thought, okay, I can do that. Uh, so I sent off the resume and a picture, and literally within a week, I got a call from a recruiter who basically said, well, you look like a good candidate. Everything seems to be in order. Let's go ahead and set you up with an interview. So I had an interview. That worked out fine. Uh, went through the process to get the visa paperwork started. And in March 2008, I found myself getting on a plane, uh, donating about four big bags of clothes to, uh, to the local Goodwill, and eventually um, started a life in Korea. Awesome. I definitely want to find out more about that. I mean, uh, I was actually teaching just across the water in Japan. And same kind of thing. I was a native speaker. I had a degree. I could uh, pretty much teach uh, just based on my own knowledge of the language. And I got a Tesla certificate. And boom, I was over in Japan. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Then I went to Korea as well just to uh, travel. So tell us about uh, your experience uh, teaching in uh, Korea in terms of uh, what they promised before you left and also the reality in terms of the good things and also some of the struggles and challenges. Okay. Well, teaching English in Korea really kind of th it really throws you in. If you, have, if you don't really have experience with kids, uh, either you're, if, you're, if you're a parent, if you've already taught school, 
kindergarten level classes, big step ahead in the game. Ninety um, percent of the jobs you'll find teaching English will have to do with kids kindergarten up through about fifth or sixth grade. So from about five years old to thirteen years old, um, older kids as much. It was the younger kid bother to sit in their seat, pay attention, look in the book, or even bother. So you really get thrown into the deep end of the pool and. That is perhaps part of the culture shock for a lot of people because a lot of the teachers I met, they just graduated college, they're 22, 23, maybe this is their first serious job. And they're looking at this thing going, what do I do? How do I do this job? And there isn't always a lot of help to, to begin. So um, don't be afraid to ask your fellow teachers for help. Um, Understand the school's expectation of you is not necessarily to teach. It is to entertain and perform the guise of teaching, for want of a better term. Guise, G-U-I-S-E, you know, the perception that you're doing some teaching. If they're entertained, they're happy, they go back to their mommy and daddy and say, hey, we had a great time in English class. You know, there's no room for a grammar Nazi here. So. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. And while you were there, uh, something remarkable happened. You fell in love, got married, and now you're traveling with your spouse. Tell us a little bit about that story, the background there, uh, in terms of one thing to go there, whole other ball game to fall in love and meet someone. Yeah. So what what ends up happening with with uh, expats? You end up kind of figuring out. You, you get past your first one year contract and myself included, you begin to go, okay, well, what's next? I don't want to leave. You know, I sold my car. I gave away four big bags of clothing. I didn't have much to return to in the U.S. I'd have to start all over. So you begin looking at your life in Korea as a bit more of a permanent one. You know, you're still teaching and you're still living your life, and you begin making something of your life beyond just your job. Um, I blogged, I wrote, I knew people that sang and, and uh, played guitar and was, you know, painted and whatever. Um, so about three years in, I began uh, getting on OkCupid okay of most places and uh, just you know started dating, trying to meet local expats. Um, meeting some local women was fun. Um, it, it turns out that uh, you really, you really can, you really can date locals. You can find plenty of locals that are curious about, you know, foreigners, whatever. Um, the reality is that there are a lot of cultural differences, and you will have to work with work within those to um, make that relationship work. Um, so, for better for work, to focus on women that were expats, other expats that were teachers, whatever, and. Um, so on OkCupid, you can get a percentage based on like compatibility, you know, zero to one hundred percent, how compatible you'll be. And with OkCupid, we we're all like ninety percent matches, really strong matches as far as OkCupid was concerned. And they were right; they really were people who were very similar to me, very. Um, and I realized that's not who I wanted to date. So, um, <laughs> approach and began looking for 
what people wrote in their profiles. What did they say about themselves? What did they talk about? And it came about a wealthy girl who really liked to travel. A country she's been in career for a few years, and I thought, well, that's good. I won't have to play tour and kind of go out. Instead of me kind of showing you new places that I've been for, new places. So um, we uh, we connected on OkCupid and finally got together for some Korean barbecue a few weeks later. And um, yeah, within a few months, we were traveling most weekends together wherever we were going. And um, I eventually proposed at a, a Christmas Eve party. Uh, Celine Dion and alcohol were involved. Don't judge. Don't hate. Um, but, um, yeah, we got married at a park in Seoul uh, in March 2013 and haven't really looked back. Awesome. What a story. Uh, and where is your spouse from? The Toronto area. Oh, there you go. Fellow Canuck like me. I'm from Vancouver, BC, Canada. So uh, now you guys yeah. have left Korea, obviously, uh, and you're traveling around the world. So tell us about where you are now. I, I'm currently talking to you from Bucharest, Romania, and uh, we've been here for about three weeks at this point. The um, Basically, we're, we're just traveling through Eastern Europe and trying to take in this part of the world, which, which neither of us has really seen before. Um, nice thing about Eastern Europe as opposed to what you might think of as, as Europe or Western Europe. You know, with countries like France and Germany and Italy, you've got that Schengen zone to worry about. Um, so within the Schengen zone, you've got 90 days in the zone, and then you have to leave the zone for at least three months. A lot of Eastern European countries aren't yet part of that, which means mm. they have their own visa policies, which means they give you three months each country. So if you're smart about it, you can go back and forth into the Schengen zone out of the Schengen zone and back and forth. As long as you don't spend more than 90 days in any one place, right. you're golden. So three months in, three months somewhere else, moving on. So that's the plan. <laughs> awesome. Uh, tell us about some of your income sources while you're actually traveling to fund your, your lifestyle. Sure. So um, source is my blog, oneweirdglobe.com. Um, it focuses on the weird, the bizarre, the unusual, the unique sort of places. Uh, I do some sponsored posts on there, the occasional ad. Um, I'll also do some freelance writing for other sites as well. Uh, haven't been as actively involved in that, but I have been focusing on finding more of those opportunities when I can. Uh, I also write books. Uh, if you can go on oneweirdglobe.com slash books, I've written about 25 itineraries and guidebooks at this point. Wow. Um, I, I, I'd like to think I've got this down to a science now. Um, these are usually books like Three Days in Bangkok or Seven Days in Central Thailand. So itineraries really give you a sense of, you know, you start at A, here's the directions to B, enjoy B, Here's the directions to see. It's just like having a tour guide following you around and tell you exactly where to go and what to do. Um, guidebooks are more open-ended. Here are the places that I think are awesome. You want to plan for your own trips, have at it. These are the places to go check out. Not thousands of places like in a lonely planet, but a hundred or so that are worthy. Um, beyond that, I'm also getting into game design, uh, tabletop board game game design. 
and uh, something I've been really excited about, something I have been learning a lot about over the past few months. And uh, it's not currently making any money. Um, it is something that, and it's an industry I'm still very much learning about, but the gist is that you can look at it like uh, a book in that you can pitch a publisher and then publish through their company and then you make a royalty off that. Or the other option is basically to self-publish, uh, to put your game, to make everything work, and then to put it on Kickstarter. So you then kickstart and work with the manufacturer and, a, and fulfillment companies and all these other place things, and then you know you publish your game yourself. So awesome! Uh, you know, sounds great. Uh, out of all our interviews, we've done about sixty plus. Never had a board game designer, and I don't know if we ever will again. So first, congratulations. Yes. Well, the funny thing is, actually, it's one thing I've learned about the industry thus far is that it does not it it's not very conducive to nomads or expats because on one level, people that play lots of games own lots of games, and games a big box you know think think of think of the the shape and size of your average you know 15 inch laptop and then you look at some of the bigger sort of board games you can put two laptops into one game box so um, what my solution right now has just been to avoid buying the big box type games now partially I don't really like that kind of game but even if I did I'd have to really really limit how many games I bought. So um, yeah, solutions there, play other people's games. Um, go to places like board game cafes where you, you pay an admission fee or you pay for a drink and then you can play their games. Um, and those are both good options. Um, I'm working on something right now that might be kind of a compromise, but I can't really talk about that right now. Uh, tell us about the games uh, that you particularly are developing. I, I don't know if you want to go into specifics, but more like uh, what are the themes? Are they travel related, or you know, the, uh, it would be great to have a digital nomad board game uh, where uh, you know your digital nomads are traveling the world. So I don't know if you have that in mind uh, or any other board games you're currently working on. You know, it, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I was uh, I was last week I was joking with a friend that I really should begin thinking about a way to combine. Uh, the two interests of my life, traveling and uh, game designing, and try to find a way to to make those work. Uh, I do not know of a of a digital nomad uh, game out there as of right now. That said, um, maybe there will be one in six months' time. I don't know. Uh, most of the games I'm working on are um, simple to learn, um, simple to play, but offer a lot of value to it. So if I can't teach my game to you in five minutes or less and you're paying attention the whole time, I'll buy you a beer, okay? Um, so uh, one game that I'm working on is called Pirate Grannies. And uh, the pirates have pillaged the village and they are uh, trying to they've, – they've taken this granny aboard and obviously all the players are grannies. And uh, they were going to throw you overboard like everyone else, but you're a granny. You can do a lot of amazing stuff. You can make them new clothes. You can darn their socks. You can sing them to sleep. You can help mend the sails. You know, So they keep you on board, and they keep you around. Um, 
will be an example of what we call a worker placement game. So instead of like rolling dice and moving your piece around the board, you're putting your character strategically in a specific space because this space will be you know, more coins and more power or something. The game I'm working on. Um, I have is called Kangaroo Court. Uh, this is going to be a teens and adults sort of game. Uh, you're in this little town, and uh, there's been a murder. And uh, so the sheriff and the judge, they've called the whole town in. What they don't know, what they didn't realize, is that the sheriff and the judge have called the murderer and the accomplices to be part of the jury. So there is, it's kind of a game of deduction and bluffing. So try to figure out who the murderer is, who the accomplices are. And it's it kind of plays off some of the, the fun from One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Um, Pretty big popular game, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a couple of projects I'm working on. Awesome, awesome! I definitely encourage you to do something in the digital nomad realm. Uh, you know, I'd be one of your first Kickstarter backers. So, uh, Chris, uh, tell us about uh, the website uh, you've created called One Weird Globe. I mean, uh, when I saw the website, the domain, the URL, I was like, oh, it is indeed. It is such a weird world, but it's such a fascinating world, and uh, part of why we travel is to explore this one weird world that we all live in. So tell us about really, One Weird Globe. Yeah, tell us really, more about the really website and how you started today and what you write about. Sure. So uh, when I first moved to South Korea, I focused on, yeah, on traveling around the country. My focus was really about um, just finding new places whatever. And it was called Chris in South Korea because I really wasn't that creative when I started blogging. Few people are. Um, <laughs> Korea, 2013. I uh, got got married and we moved to Thailand. So I started a blog called Chris in Thailand. Creative, but I couldn't keep writing about Thailand on a website called Chris in South Korea. Thailand. Then we took trips to Laos and we went to Malaysia. And I thought I can't keep making a new we go to a new country. So. It was around 2015 that I rebranded to One Weird Globe, kind of put all the websites into one site. At that point, I actually really shifted focus from travel blog to really focusing on the weird, the bizarre, the unique, um, the quirky sort of places around the world. Um, so here in, in Romania, for example, uh, the the famous Bran Castle is you know it's the one where Dracula was supposedly a thing and all the tourists go there to the castle you know? and if, if I even and if I did I would not be writing about it because it's probably not weird um, same story with a lot of countries a lot of countries have you know one big tourist destination that draws everyone in the government's really supportive of it uh, Machu Picchu. You know, in Cusco, good example. You know, famous, world famous sort of place. But you look at the history of the place, and it's not even the most significant place in the city. Expensive place in the city, sure, but it's not the most. It's, it's famous because it's had a lot of help. Um, so what I ended up doing, we ended up linking to four other sites in my up along the same road, and we made. 
a day trip out of those those sites or whatever. So, but Wormwood Globe is about the weird places around the world. So uh, I, I love the fact that you finally decided to change it, by the way. Uh, otherwise, you'd be Chris in Romania, Chris in Moldova, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that would be a whole bunch of domains. And uh, you wouldn't have very good SEO with a whole bunch of scattered niche sites. Uh, so uh, one weird globe, uh, as you mentioned, is very fascinating, um, finding out the weird elements uh, during your travels. Um, so tell us about some of the weird parts of this world that you've discovered. I mean, you're quite the renowned traveler, so tell us a little bit of the stories or sightseeing attractions that you would recommend that typical tourists wanted to go to. Well, the next time you're in Thailand, start looking for the hell temples. Um, and a lot of, what? Hell temples? What? Now, these are Buddhist temples that in the 70s and early started building uh, basically the, they constructed what the Buddhist hell looked like um, version of hell you know the damnation is eternal or whatever and Buddhism it's hell you know your karma is being worked out and it's not an infinite period of vacation your karma has to be worked out out. This can take millions or trillions, and these places aim to show you in concrete statues and red painted um, what will happen to you if you're if you're bad in this life. So, uh, if you're a thief, cut off. If you rape someone, you get your. If you are a woman that has an abortion, you get disemboweled. These are not. Uh, <laughs> I should say, but is that when every time we went to him without fail, we saw at least one kid. Apparently, this was the sort of thing that the Thai parents would bring their kids to. Uh, hopefully, trying to to skip, you know, this is what'll happen to you if you're bad now, or something like that. Um, I found over a dozen scattered across. Across Thailand, they are not meant as tourist destinations. Are correctly regarded as religious sites. So you go to experience that. You know, you're not going to say, "Hey, let's go check out the hell." Go by yourself. Leave a donation. Enjoy the place, and you know, treat it with respect as you would any religious place. Um, they're fun. Um, so yeah, the um, in Zagreb you had the Museum of Mushrooms. Um, this one scientist, he's made it his life's work to categorize, to discover, and preserve mushrooms. And it's the sort of collection where you go, what is he on? Mushrooms, of course. Just what do you know? I, he's certainly not doing anything. No. That, that is his life works, and he actually developed a really innovative, like freeze drying technique to preserve the color of these mushrooms. And he's got the type that are truffles that sell for a thousand dollars per kilogram. He's got the mushrooms that'll kill you if you eat them, you know. And they can they can even be like side by side, which is even better. So, um, yeah. So there was yeah. So really, there's a lot of places out there that are weird and offbeat. The crazy thing is they don't even have to be 
the middle of nowhere sort of places. You do not have to venture five hours in a car to the middle of nowhere where you go, where's my signal? I don't get a signal out here. You know, that mushroom place I was telling you about is literally around the corner from one of the bigger plazas in the old town area of Zagreb. So places are not hard to find. They're just lesser traveled. Awesome. You know, I almost want to do a blog post about uh, the weird stuff I've seen on my travels now that you inspire me with these stories. Uh, because I, I, I've been to about 66 countries already, and definitely out of these places, I've seen a lot of weird stuff. And some of it was uh, just people telling me, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of an example, but uh, when I was in California, in LA, um, Typically, obviously, people go to Disneyland, go to Universal Studios, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I went to the Bunny Museum. Uh, the Bunny Museum is in Pasadena, and it is the world's biggest bunny collection. And it's not um, live bunnies. It's actually um, plush bunnies. So uh, uh, <laughs> so okay. basically, this lady uh, and her husband, they've collected bunnies from around the world, and uh, they, they just... Uh, um, uh, charge admission uh, to go in there and uh, it's pretty fascinating it's their home they live upstairs and their whole living room uh, all the, the kind of like the, uh, the, the ground level is literally thousands of bunnies so I found that remarkable and people come from around the world donate bunnies etc so if you're going to Pasadena California I highly recommend checking out that one weird attraction I'm gonna have to look that up yeah there's the thing yeah the thing that's been impressive to me is that is is not just the the quality the quantity of weird places but the quality you know get a lot of travelers and a lot of tourists and uh, you know they become really well known and that's okay because even if they're well known they're still weird they're still worthy um, the Siraj Medical Museum in Bangkok is a really good example of that. There's lots of uh, medical specimens. It is not for kids. It's partially meant as a tourist destination. It's partially meant as a learning tool for uh, the medical students in that uh, area. And um, yeah, it's very well known. It could be easily considered mainstream. Very weird. And so it's okay. I'm actually wearing a shirt now. You can see it. Um, this is another museum I went to, the Burger Museum in, I think it was Tampa, Florida. This guy has collected thousands of artifacts and exhibits related to yeah. his favorite food. Yeah. Um, so Now, the funny thing is I, I, I jokingly asked him, so where's the best burger around here? You know, didn't even think, you know. And he's like, well, what kind of burger are you in the mood for? Do you want one that's like, you know, do you need do you need like all the hipster crap on it, or do you just want to get like a like a five guys or something like that? And then of course you look around once you get out of the area, there's like five fast food chains around um, around the burger museum, it seems appropriate. So yeah, I mean, and you bring up restaurants. I mean, there's literally random restaurants in the middle of nowhere that you uh, really don't expect. Like, uh, again, you've kind of inspired me on this wavelength. And then we're going to wrap up. Uh, but I was actually in South Africa earlier this trip, uh, about three months ago. And we were in a place in the garden route called Storms River. And it's basically a national park. Okay. Um, and uh, we went in Storms River, and we're walking around the town. All of a sudden, there's this big 
1960s diner with Marilyn Monroe staring at you and uh, all these Chevy Blazers and uh, um, uh, Elvis uh, artifacts. And basically, it's an expat American who moved to South Africa who brought in a whole bunch of Chevys and different uh, vintage cars. And he set up literally a museum to do with the 60s, like a very traditional American diner. And it's, it's become like a nice. tourist uh, uh, attraction. But it's not on the Lonely Planet or anything like that. It's just a random, weird place that we saw. So I probably mm -hmm. have a lot more stories too. But uh, uh, I, I'm going to make this blog post about the weird stuff we've seen because of this interview. So thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Uh, Chris, uh, you know, uh, you obviously have a wealth of uh, experience and knowledge uh, in terms of being a digital nomad. If you wanted, if people wanted to maybe hire you for some coaching, uh, I know that's something you do. How can they do that? And uh, how can they find out more about yourself and your weird adventures around the globe? I'm interested in the weird travels and the weird adventures. The blog is called OneWeirdGlobe.com. I also occasionally offer digital nomad consulting uh, and counseling over at yourlifeabroad.com, yourlifeabroad.com, three words. And uh, these are basically one-hour sessions scheduled on Skype. And what they're doing is they're specifically set up to succeed. Now, success is going to be different for everyone, but what the first thing we'll do is get to two or three of your pressing questions about what it means to be a nomad, how can I become a nomad? These are your questions we're answering here. From that, your specific circumstances, your life, what it is you really want out of that life, or how becoming a nomad can help you do that. And what's going to happen, invariably, I, I have to be honest, because some people will not, they will not be willing to to do what it takes to become a nomad. Um, there are sacrifices you'll have to make. There are cultural understandings you'll have to figure out. Um, so my job as your consultant or counselor, whatever you want to call me, is to get you up to speed on what to expect and to also help you understand what it will take you prepared for that life. Um, and again, the, the goal here is to help you start your life abroad. Not my life, life, not all the world, not you, yourlife.com. So, yeah. Awesome. Counseling sessions for one hour by Skype. Awesome. So you have a, your life abroad, uh, one weird globe, and you also have another service where you can uh, help people in their web design, uh, do uh, analysis or uh, redesign, redevelop the site, et cetera. So tell us about that site as well. Sure. So um, when I'm not working, traveling, uh, helping people start their life abroad or life, I also help people uh, with their websites, uh, with their WordPress sites, whether they've done it themselves, whether they've had a developer in the past. What I really am focusing on now are, is the coaching side of things. And the site is blogtuneup.com blogtuneup.com slash coaching and the goal here is instead of just having me do all the work for you and you not understanding what I did or what a developer is doing I offer make your own damn site so this is not me doing the work for you we start a session on Skype you share your screen and I'm telling you okay so what is it you want to, your site to do and you'll say 
I really want my site to have this functionality, like on this other site. There's a few plugs, so what we'll do is we'll install a plugin and we'll configure it. Uh, in other cases, there's some tweaks you want to make to the way your site looks or functions. So we'll get we'll get into the code, and you code, you will be. It's like having a computer teacher over your shoulder. You're doing the work, so the next time this question, you know how to do it. Done it. Ten per, the, the statistic escapes me right now. You remember 10% of what you read, 30% of what, what you hear, and you doing the work yourself. I'm helping you make sure you're doing the correct thing, typing the correct number in the correct place, and making your site as awesome as you can as you want to make it. So that's blogtuneup.com. And again, this, those are just one-hour sessions scheduled on Skype. Awesome. Uh, you know, thanks for your insights uh, into your travels, uh, you know, uh, around the world, literally, uh, from uh, the U.S. into Korea, into Thailand, and now into Eastern Europe and beyond. Um, so uh, once again, uh, Chris's sites are onewearglobe.com, uh, and then there's also uh, yourlifeabroad.com, and then finally there's blogtuneup.com. So nice and easy. Three word URLs, which is some of the best URLs are the two or three words. So make sure to check it out. And if you have any questions about anything we've discussed, anything from uh, teaching English in Korea to living as an expat uh, around the world uh, to getting married when you're overseas to game design uh, to coaching to digital nomadism to uh, uh, weird stuff um, like uh, the ones we talked about and obviously getting your blog tuned up, make sure you connect with Chris. Uh, thanks for your time today and happy travels over there in Romania and Eastern Europe. Thanks for having me. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world.